welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me, my duly departed federal marshal, it's Claire Williams. I was, I, I just, I was trying to think of an anagram, not anagram, what's it called when you, you know, the words or like the letters get jumbled up into something else? I think it's, it's an anagram. anagram. Yeah. Oh, it's anagram. Okay. I am smart. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> Um, but it's like I'm the names to... Kingsley has the chalkboard at the end. Right. I'm, I wonder I what my, if I, I would have to do some hard, hard research, maybe drink a scotch or two to figure out what my name would be <laughs> if I used an anagram. Um, it's a lot of L's and it's a lot of I's. Mm. It's three L's, two I's. You gotta throw an M in there. It seems like a lot of work, but I don't know. I feel like I could get something out of it. I wonder if AI can figure it out. Oh, no. Don't say that. I'm I don't do want to know that. No, no, no. Don't fucking, don't. I, I don't need uh, the that enemies of the IMF on this podcast. <laughs> I don't need okay. the entity okay. involved, all right? I have no, no entity. <laughs> no, that movie hasn't gone in your head at all. Um, with us today to talk all things Shutter Island while we're trapped on this island, it's Taylor. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me yeah. on. I know we've been thanks playing being some uh, yeah. some phone tag for about a year and a half now. I'm, I'm glad we could finally work this yeah. out. No, the feelings mutual. Lovely to have you here. Big fan of your of your work. Um, <laughs> favorite kind of tag. Uh, before we get into all things Marty Scorsese and Shutter Island, let's learn a little bit about Taylor. And something we'd like to get to know with everybody that's appearing on the pod for their first time is how you fell in love with film. Um, if you could think about your how your love of cinema uh, started and like forming and movements like those. Um, yeah, for me, it was definitely uh, getting like a little flip video camera uh, for my birthday. I think it was my eighth birthday. And I don't know, my, my brother and I, and eventually my school friends and I would just go around, like, shooting dumb videos and stuff. And, like, I don't know, I just got it in my head at, like, a really early age that I was like, you know, oh, I'm going to be a filmmaker. <laughs> and, like, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't have the statistics or anything, but I feel like a lot of people get into filmmaking because they love movies. No, I yeah. I've kind of had the, the yeah. reverse experience where I was like, huh, I, I enjoyed doing this. I should probably, like, I don't know, watch more. I mean, not that, you know, I, I watched as many movies as the average American, but um, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I suddenly felt this, like, obligation, or not obligation, responsibility, duty to watch movies. Um, and, like, yeah, obviously I, I fell in love. And so, you know, the, the formative movies back then were, like, Super 8 uh just because i was like oh hey they're they're doing what i'm doing um big into scott pilgrim back in the day um, of course yeah trying to think um i think my my first ever like favorite movie was this stupid cartoon network live action movie called reanimated um i would watch that movie like every day for like a year um i don't remember what year it's from I how do like i not know that movie i feel like that would be my kind of thing i was addicted to cartoon network reanimator <laughs> no reanimated reanimated yeah and then they did like a spin-off tv show but um the movie 
was where it's at. Oh, 2006. Hmm. This might this was probably a little too early. It for was me. a movie first and then a TV show? Yeah. Part live action, part animated story about a boy who, after an awful amusement park accident, gets a brain transplant, which allows him to see cartoon characters in real life. That's a great idea, though. Yeah, it's basically like he gets, you know, that movie's Walt Disney, uh, his cryogenic brain uh, transplanted into his head. And then it's like a a Roger Rabbit type thing where he sees all the, the Disney characters and they're like his buddies. Wow. What was everyone's favorite Cartoon Network show as a kid? Do you have a number one? Fuck. Uh, Fuck. Probably either Ed, Ed, and Eddie or uh, Billy and Mandy. Yes. Yes, Ed, Ed, and Eddie. That was the best. uh, Courage the Cowardly Dog also. That That show is fucked up. Courage is fucked up. That's a fucked up show. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I was like, oh, I didn't know... People I like to use the word Lynchian a lot. That's the only show I can think of that's a, that's Lynchian or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Um, kind of salad fingers esque. I, it's there's a I have a funny story. So I punched this kid. I mean, I didn't try to really punch him, but he was annoying me. And this was back when well, what is it, third third grade. Um, he was kind of annoying me and my friend. So I was. I punched him, but I didn't mean to punch him hard, but I punched him and his nose just started bleeding like really badly. And I'm like, oh no. Um, so I tried to lie saying I was trying to fake punch him, but I really did mean to hit him. Uh, this is like the only uh, committed, I'm only, this is like the only actual uh, violence I've ever really committed. Um, and for punishment, my mom banned me from watching Ed, Ed and Eddie, codenamed oh Kids Next Door. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> I think there was another one. I think it might have been Billy and Mandy, which doesn't make sense. There's not like a ton of violence in that one, if I remember correctly. It's just kind of weird. Um, but favorite, Ben 10, I loved so much as a kid. Ben 10 was like my favorite. Um, man. Yeah, Ben 10 was sick. Conan Kid Next Door, if you, I think uh, about it more. They did so many movie spoofs. They did so many movie mm. spoofs in that show, like like Empire Strikes Back, um, like a total like it, it, you realize when you're a bit older that how many times you were introduced to like iconic scenes through spoofs before you actually. It's a little saw bit the like The Simpsons, scenes. exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's that happened yeah, for right. so many people. Yeah. Um, we're a different generation. Yeah, I mean, I love Foster's Home for Imaginary that's Friends. That's so great. That, oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. In in the canon, can I, you know, uh, put that on the shelf there? I loved um, when I realized that Wilt in it was like inspired by wilt chamberlain after like when i got into basketball i'm like oh but so it was it's really funny just like you know just the things you you know foster's home for imaginary friends was always clutch you know i mean cartoon network was my network and we've talked about this before yeah um but that does not have any relation to uh film (laughs) i think it does And, and marty comments on uh uh adventure time quite often um but Taylor brings up Scott Pilgrim, and it makes me think of one of my favorite videos from yours that kind of connects back to your story, which is like films we love when we were 14. Um, it, it, did you kind of like write that about yourself? Like, oh, oh yeah, you know, definitely. what did I like when I was that age? Well, I, when, yeah, younger, the, yeah, the part two of, of the story, I guess, is like, you know, I, I got a little older, got into to middle school, and like, 
you know, had more internet access and stuff. And so I was on IMDb all the time. And like the, the top 250 was like the Bible. I was like, these are like the movies I need to know. Like Shawshank Redemption, best movie of all time. Absolutely. Um, I um, Pulp Fiction top three. I, yeah, all yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, I I just started going through the list and like, you know, I I was naturally introduced to a lot of stuff that is like on there for good reason. Um, a lot of it is kind of just like. It had to do with when IMDb was popular and, and user reviews were um, sort of uh, had this like foundational uh, sway. Um, I think about movies now on Letterboxd, like you go to um, actually the, the funny thing about this podcast you guys do, I feel like um, Letterboxd was what, 2013? Yes. Yeah. I feel like yes. a lot of the, it just turned ten, yeah. Right, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure like Martin Scorsese's top movie, or maybe like one of his top movies, is Shutter Island, which I know it was like a big box office success. But I feel like just in the the zeitgeist or whatever, like you never think about Shutter Island as like uh, I don't know one of his like. No, defining movies um and then you know on like in the zeitgeist yeah. this yeah. popular website you go to his profile and it's like at the top um on just like the general popular movies page i i don't know which one exactly if it's like the top 250 or just like a, a general but it like all these movies that are like circa 2011 2010 um mm-hmm. have like jumped to the the top of you know they're given directors pages um and i feel like that's very much what was going on with uh with imdb back in the day and then like the letterboxd top 250 or whatever their their top is um i, I feel like in 10 years time is going to have a very similar thing like there there will be a generation of people who got into film and they're like oh yeah parasite everything everywhere all at once um mm-hmm. harakiri Cowboy Bebop, um, I, I, Whiplash. <laughs> yeah, and it's not that yeah. there's anything like wrong with any of those movies, um, but just the the trend of them in succession just feels like very um, definitive of a moment in time. Um, and so that was me with the mm-hmm. the IMDb top two fifty. Um, I was the same exact yeah. way when I was getting into film before I really got into Letterbox, which was like what, in like twenty fifteen. For me, um, I yeah, I was like IMDb was just like okay, so top four: Dark Knight, Godfather Part Two, <laughs> Godfather, Pulp Fiction, Let's Rock, like or whatever. Um, it's just he was fun. He was fun to be around. I, I promise. Uh, <laughs> Jack saved me from that. Um, but no, it is truly like yeah, that is just what you went off of. Now it yeah, now it's Paddington Two and Moonlight, um, and. Which I think I kind of, I don't necessarily know if I'm saying those are better. They're not necessarily like better movies than like Godfather 2 or whatever. But I kind of, I do like how it's a little more spread out in a way. It's not like the same movie five times or like the same five movies mm-hmm. every time. Like it's, you know, and sometimes I'll roll my eyes when like, I liked the new Spider-Verse movie quite a bit. 
But when it was like getting, it was I'm like in like top up. 15 yes. for a hot That's minute true. or whatever. I'm just like, all right, guys, let's yeah. like, I don't know about this. Um, <laughs> right. I know. Uh, but no, but the thing is, we all have to start from somewhere. And we've talked about this before. So I do get kind of, I roll my eyes really hard when I see like, you know, older letterbox users or whatever be like, all these teen, you know, teenagers taking over the app. They're all into the same movies. And I'm just like, what were you when you were like 12 or 13 or 15 or 16? Were you not also just like, we're not, we can't all just be these unique little flowers when we get into like film and stuff. We're going to share a lot of like the same opinion or get in the same, or we, we just meet other people who have that same passion. We're like, well, I like this. I like this too. So it's, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's so, I don't know. It's so, people like to think themselves so much better than what they actually were. And guess what? At 16 years old, you probably mm-hmm. had bad taste. 14, you probably had horrific taste. Like, we all should. That's the whole point. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I still think yeah. Pulp Fiction's like, that's still probably like one of my favorite movies or whatever, but it's like, the, the, the difference is I know there's more out there than just Pulp Fiction. And I think that's what happens when you mm-hmm. get older um, is that you understand how big the landscape is. And then, of course, your movies change. And that's the, and that's one of the great parts of like Scorsese now being on Letterboxd is now like someone who, you know, has seen Shutter Island or had seen something more recently like Wolf of Wall Street or The Irishman can now you know, go and be like, oh, this like granddad who makes good movies uh, is is now on the same app that me and my friends are. And then, you know, he recommends like East of Eden or, you know, The Housemaid. And, you know, that's always interesting. But um, yeah, I'm always going to trust Letterboxd way more than IMDb, obviously, but it's still flawed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely like the two main differences, I guess, between like prime imdb and like current letterboxd is one i'm sure the demographic is way younger just because people who are on the internet in like the early 2000s um i'm sure we're older than right people who have an iphone in 2023 and then also just the the social media aspect of it um that kind of accounts for um it's sort of what you were talking about, um, like the the same sets of movies, and it's it is a bit of a, a feedback loop. But again, it's like it, it clearly it has the capacity to um, to platform people like Martin Scorsese and and push um, voices who are like actually trying to um, I, I don't know share a, a wealth of movies rather than just like. I don't know. I, I feel like I, I get more value out of the app from like following not even critics themselves, but like the almost the bot pages of critics from like 50 years ago. Right. Just because it's a database. they have, you know, 8000 movies logged. And like I discover mm-hmm. so much more from that. And like, you know, it's nice to like keep up with my friends on it and see what they're watching. But like the the most value I get out of it is stuff like that and i feel like you just um, discover way more movies that way with imdb there's nothing there's no really other way to just just you know discover movies besides going on to someone's career be like oh they did that exactly with like edgar wright and letter and like martin scorsese or whatever they'll put like thousand movies that they love lists and you'll see so many that barely don't even have like a poster 
like what the fuck is that mm-hmm. and that's how yeah. To, yeah it's so much more easy to, to actually widen your taste with letterbox yeah 100 percent. that that would be a really good like foundation for someone because uh, i think the one of the most liked list is the edgar wright a thousand right. movies i love i feel like that would be and it's not even like you have to love Edgar um, Wright, but obviously he's seen some good shit, so you might as well just yeah. like see like, oh, mm-hmm. he liked that. All right, that might be interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting because, you know, it's an it's an app where like, the uh, the um. Oh, who's the? Yeah, I also follow the critic databases, and it's like, you do get so much more from like an accessible point from letterbox what someone thought of a film from the time and you have no like contemporary thoughts to influence what you think but rather it's like oh this is when something that's can that that was new at the time um and because uh, because it's like you know those those reviews can get lost so easily it's or like you know harder to find where it's like now we have a place where it's where it has everything um Scorsese is one of the few directors where if you get introduced to him young and you love his movies young, you get older and that doesn't really change. I don't hear many people like, man, I really like Goodfellas was one of my favorite movies growing up. And then like growing up and being like, yeah, Scorsese doesn't do it for me anymore or whatever. Or like I grew up past <laughs> that. He's like one, he's someone that your angsty 13 year old boy can love and your 40 year old critic can love. Um, I think the only thing that ever yeah. changes is that what movies you like more of his filmography more than others. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, and Jack is probably just going to ask this and I'm just going to cut his legs right from under him. But I was going to ask Taylor, like, what, what, what's your experience with Marty? Like, what was your first, like, yeah, what were your first experiences with Martin Scorsese and like the movies that you liked at first or got introduced to him by? Um, I actually don't remember if it was Taxi Driver or Goodfellas. Right, I can't either. the first one I watched. I can't either. Um, you know, I was like 12 or 13. Exactly. Um, I have no idea. And it, it, I'm sure it was close together. Um, but yeah, the, those two were pretty... Honestly, Taxi Driver more so than Goodfellas at the time was, was more formative. I mean, I was definitely mm-hmm. like just an angsty 13-year-old and I was like, man, this guy gets it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> your first Schrader is like a piercing, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, feeling, but, uh, yeah. Then like, I don't know. I started talking with my, my neighbor who was a big Scorsese guy and he like, you know, basically forced a copy of, of raging bowl into my hands. And he's <laughs> like, watch how he lights the scene with sugar Ray Robinson. I was like, okay. And like, I watched the movie and I was like, oh, that was cool. And I like had no idea what he was talking about with the Sugar Ray scene. Obviously, like, you know, going back and, and rewatching it and stuff, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is insane. But I just didn't have like the, the vocabulary. I don't know. The, it, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I guess those are my, my first three. And then I, I started ticking things off. I guess. Wolf of Wall Street didn't come out too much later. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I mean, like, obviously I knew they were both Scorsese, but I, was, I, I didn't realize at the time how often he sort of um, 
defaulted to the same structure. Right. Um, and so I was like, wow, that, that was a lot like Goodfellas. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'd seen Hugo at some point in the mix. Um, well, because I, I just want to – I had the same thought where I was the opposite of seeing Wall Street first, then Goodfellas. I'm like, that's quite – in the casino. But anyway, just – yeah, I relate to that. Yeah. Um, and then I, I still – haven't seen a lot of like i mean a lot of his movies period i i still need to get to um a lot that i'm i'm pretty embarrassed about but um Same. i don't know I, I just sort of started filling in the gaps from there and like um i don't remember when i first watched the departed but i remember watching it and i was like that was that was good and all but i, I don't know what's so like why is that his oscar movie and then i was like yeah. You know, reading up about it, and I was like, oh, this was kind of his, like, pity Oscar, like, or not pity, but, like, honorary, like, you know, you've you've been doing this enough, let's let's throw him a bone. Um, yeah, but then rewatching The Departed in the past couple of years, that one is, has shot up a lot in my, uh, my Scorsese ranking. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I'm sure it's just dependent, like, I'm sure, like, half his movies... I'll rewatch it and be like, wait, no, this is the best one. Yeah. It's a filmography where like rewatching, uh, certainly, and, and uh, I mean, certainly with this, with this film, uh, rewatching will enhance your love for it. And I need to revisit the departed because I, I, I think I'll join you that I'm like kind of eh on it right now, but once I do see it again, I'll, I'll like it a lot more. And um, yeah, it's just one of those filmographies where once you do see something again, that's just the default number one because of the recency bias. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and I, I was thinking too, like I think that uh, it was Wolf of Wall Street when I like I, I'm with you, like I sort of knew who he was, but not entirely had a grasp on the movies he made. Like I knew. I knew him as a public figure, but then like that, and then Wolf of Wall Street comes out, and I'm like, oh, that's a that's what a director looks like. It's interesting to think about when you <laughs> right, realize how big a director is. Like, yeah, yeah, because it's almost impossible to remember because it's never like there's, there's it's not like one of those moments in your life where I'm like I know exactly where I was. It's like more like a slow realization over time. But it's like if you try to think about. How, like, when when did you understand that Steven Spielberg was, like, one of the greats? Or when did you, or, like, one of the most, like, notorious film, like, or uh, famous filmmakers to ever do it? When do you realize Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese is one of, like, the masters of his craft, like, considered one of the best to ever do it? Like, when do you, real, when do you have those realizations? Because, cause, yeah, at the beginning, you're just going to be like, well, I watched his movie, and it was pretty good. Or I've heard other people say his name before. Then, but you mm-hmm. know, but at some point before I got into movies, I knew Steven Spielberg was one of the most famous filmmakers ever and made some of the most famous movies ever. Um, but I just knew that. It's one of the. It's really interesting to think about because it's like I don't remember getting into like a ton yeah. of conversations about Steven Spielberg when I was younger, but I somehow just realized, oh yeah, he's just like one of the just the. V guys, we need that realization, but they're like they're not even in our in their prime. They're like right, exactly. Grandmaster era when it's just sort of like you should know who they are, 
and you know the name, but you just don't know, like, the person. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But. Yeah, I, I definitely had a similar experience. And, like, of, like, the directors I can think of now, Scorsese and Spielberg are the two that, like, you know, my my whole life, basically, like, I, I don't have a memory of, like, learning who Martin Scorsese was or who Steven Spielberg was. I, I feel like I've just always, like... I, w I was so young or they were so like present in the culture i sort of mm -hmm. and and more so spielberg just because like he has more <laughs> movies that children can watch uh, like I, I knew who martin scorsese was before i ever watched a movie by him um spielberg you know I, i'm sure i had seen like indiana jones or or et or something before i had like a conception of the person himself but i i definitely i i think about like before i got into film or whatever and like obviously i i was like a normal person exposed to like the same stuff any average american was exposed to but just looking back at it i feel like i kind of retroactively think of myself as having more limited exposure back then like oh i didn't know who all these people were i didn't know who you know what all these movies were i'm sure i did but i just like mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it's a different different like mental process um now than it was when i was a kid um not sure if that makes any no, sense no no it does yeah. absolutely it's it's a little different now too because because i guess like to speak for teens who we are not teens but to speak for I'm a them. Teen at heart. They have crystal on they have crystal on TikTok, you know? <laughs> like like people like like directors aren't Scorsese really like TikTok. TikTok. They have Martin TikTok on you right, right, right. Um you know, um they have um access they have access to, you know, it's not like we didn't have access, but they have more like publicity i guess well it's also there. now it's um, kind of cool to i guess the strike maybe pushed that but it's too, also kind of cool that it's cool to know that the film that, that the amount of film um for the imax showing of oppenheimer was like what two miles or whatever the fuck like it's because i was like a big i like because i remember that video that was on tiktok because and i'm not even on tiktok but i saw i remember the video because it was like People were like, so Christopher Nolan's like making this video with a TikTok influencer about how much film is in, I in the IMAX uh, for the IMAX version of Oppenheimer, like, that, and that got probably millions of views or whatever the fuck. Like, that's just kind of now we where we at, at where where we're at at a culture, um, which is the stuff that gives me hope because you can always look at you know the franchise Marvel kind of fan culture that has absorbed a lot of you know cinema going but then you have yeah people are just really into christopher nolan's three-hour biopic about the guy who made the atom bomb yeah it's about to make a billion dollars yeah it's crazy um so it's it's it, it's it, it, it you know there's my you know pluses and minuses but um but let's uh kind of zero in on shutter island um so Taylor, what, when was the first time you saw Shutter Island? What was your first reaction? Full disclosure, the first time I watched Shutter Island was in preparation for, oh, hell yeah, dude. for this episode. Hell yeah. I hadn't seen it before. Um, and so 
Um, what did you think about approaching to honest. it? What did you think of like what was or, like what were your preconceptions? Um, I mean, I I knew it was more of like a a popcorn flick, I guess. A one for um, them, sort of. But um, and and I think the the GQ article I had already read where he's like, I um, you know, then I made Shutter Island when really I probably should have made Silence, and he didn't really elaborate on that point, but people kind of took that as like. Scorsese kind of regrets Shutter Island a little bit and he talked about it in the same breath as like you know all the studio interference he faced with like Gangs of New York and The Aviator um but I don't know I mean Scorsese at his most popcorn whatever is still like great so I, I you know I yeah. I have you know blind faith in everything he does this at least on on this viewing did not turn out to be one of my favorite scorsese films right um but i i think it's an interesting case of like how much he's still able to um i don't know cover in such a narrow scope um compared to like his sprawling american epics um you know stuff like this and before we started recording jack and i were talking about cape fear um these very like I don't know, narrow um, narrative films that are that still have so much um, weight regarding, like, American identity and, and religion and original sin and all that. Um, and that still very much carries through in Shutter Island. And I think, if anything, like, instances like this, um, sort of the lower caliber works of, of an auteur it can be some of the more revealing, like, you know, if, if none of the other bells and whistles, uh, apply here, like this is what survives and this is how we're able to sort of piece together a through line. And so that's, uh, yeah, that was what was exciting about watching Shutter Island for me this time around, at least. I was the only one that knew the, uh, did you guys know the twist, uh, seeing this? I, I did know the twist. Um, I mean, I, I knew the twist in so far as like, you know, spoiler warning for the listeners 45 minutes into this <laughs> podcast about Shutter Island. Um, but I, I knew he was like a patient the whole time. And that was about all I knew. I didn't know Mark Ruffalo was doing this elaborate bit and like pretending to be his his partner the whole time. Pretty good bit, um, honestly. Out of all the bits you could oh, do, yeah. pretty good bit. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, yeah, he's a jokester. <laughs> And yeah, well, so I, I actually had a moment watching where, like, you know, I, again, I'd had it spoiled for me at some point in the last 10 years, um, mm-hmm. but I never really thought about it that much. I'd kind of tried to keep it at as much of a distance as I could, even knowing that. So watching it and, like, the movie obviously becomes more and more, like, cerebral and you start questioning more and more what's reality, what's sort of induced psychosis and so i had a moment where i was like oh is it just that like he descends into madness and then you know it turns out he's been a or at a certain point in the story he has become a patient um but then no it's it's just that he's been a patient the whole time i thought that's what it was too when i heard i i saw i was sick i was sick one day and i saw this in silence in the same day i already 
said that on the silence episode, but um What a weird day, by the way. That must put that must have put you in a weird headspace. I didn't really know what either one were about. I just like, oh, I saw both of them were streaming. It was I didn't really yeah, I think much of it. But um you know what it do was, you hear that? Do you just have dinner and like chill out on your yeah. phone? Yeah. After you're just like, all right. Yeah. See a movie about, you know, uh the a priest having his will broken by a very complicated geopolitical and religious uh, experience in history and then Leonardo DiCaprio you know realized he killed his wife after his wife drowned his kids it's just a weird I don't know it it's just day. like a, it was, it's an interesting you know, day it was a day well a day a day well spent uh just chill very very relaxing um but yeah like I thought the same whereas like he slowly like has his gun taken away and is given the garments uh, given the pills, you know, and then is is sort of like sedated into thinking he uh, did something. He was like framed for something. Like that's what I, that's what I, my expectations were. But then it's like rewatching. Then I'm like, oh wait, no, it was like he just, you know, um, uh, Ruffalo is like the moral center of the movie, and he did this out of out of, uh, you know, uh, seeing if this hell mary of an experiment would actually go through and then um you know it's up to it's up to us if it i guess if it did go through but uh this movie's really great um i i I think it's you know um it's a strong picture because i watched uh before this um it, it was a youtube video compiled of like uh ebert's thoughts on scorsese and someone narrating like what ebert's relationship was with marty was and like how they had a close friendship um, and detailing one of Ebert's criticisms was when uh, Marty would take studio projects like this, Cape Fear, Color of Money, and sort of interject his own personality onto a work for hire and would call that lesser work. But rather, it's like work that's originally Scorsese is is always going to be superior, which I don't know. (laughs) You can... That's an argument. It's, it's I guess whatever. It's still, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, and I sort of thought about that when when watching this. But I um, this is the second time I've seen it. I saw this. I can't even remember when, because you mentioned uh, Taylor that this was like one of his most like sh- like most seen on Letterboxd, and the reason was, and it's so funny. I th- I don't know if I've talked about this before, but if you talk to Joe Schmo. Um, in the sense of just talk to just like random people, a lot of people I've, I've met so many different people who have no real interest in movies. I've seen, you know, like who see like five to 10 movies a year or whatever. And they'll just tell me, um, yeah, you know what? Shutter Island's one of my favorite movies or I, I fucking love Shutter Island. And it's like, these people have never even seen Goodfellas or Taxi, like whatever. Like they, it's not like they're not Scorsese heads and I don't even know if they're Leo heads either. But they'll just like, I'll just hear so many random people say that. And I'm like, really? Shutter Island. That one. Okay. Um, (laughs) I I can totally see that. Um, I think. Yeah. I think. People love twists. It was one of those. And I remember this because I saw it on Netflix. It was one of those movies that was originally like always at one of the most like the on the popular section of Netflix. Like every week. Mm. And it was one of those Mm -hmm. like first like when Netflix was really popping. 
in the beginning, when it was before the original <laughs> series and stuff, when they were just like the movies, that was <clears throat> that was always one of the most popular ones on their streaming service. And I think that is like the big reason that movie got so much traction later on. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I also think I like um it's it slots in so neatly with like that sort of like late 2000s early 2010s obsession with like mind fuck movies like this and inception the same year (laughs) it was just like that's what the people wanted you know obsessing about dead wives right you know that's yeah it just the the big cultural point i i don't know what uh, and right now i probably couldn't articulate a difference between like the movies in that like five-year period and like any other uh mind fuck movie for for lack of a better term but there was just something about that period where people were like obsessed with like oh you thought this was uh was going one way um i i don't know and it's like like, another that comes to mind is like primer yeah where it's like that's one where it's like you gotta see it like it's it's a it's like mathematicians uh and, you know, can only solve this movie. And, and so it's, like, obviously a very cheeky, like, I don't know, reason for being so popular. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was his, like, biggest box office success um, up to that point. I think only Wolf of Wall Street mm-hmm. uh, perform- outperformed it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think, at least in, in this film's case, like, um, it, it is a pretty good twist. And what were your talking about before like the you know thinking it's just like a slow descent into madness and at some point they've like locked him in when in reality it's like what we thought was a a descent into like being drugged and uh whatever is actually like him suffering withdrawal symptoms and actually coming closer to reality than um like descent into madness or whatever um it's just like it's pretty clever i mean i'm sure you could find work that predates it i mean the book was from 2003 i think so it wasn't like Mm -hmm. a a secret from the public or anything but then i i do think like i don't know regarding the the ebert quote um like yeah the, the fact that he's able to use this um as like a springboard for all his his typical themes on like violence in America and, and historical atrocities and all that. Um, I I think I don't know the actually I'll, I'll say the film it most reminded me of was The Shining, right. um, which is like very explicit. Like obviously it it like I think samples the soundtrack from The Shining, um, the whole descent into like you know what's actually happening what's just in the character's head is is pretty one-to-one and also the the i think it's the first shot where he's hallucinating the the three dead kids is like i i forget what exactly he's doing with the camera there but it's like very dead twins-esque uh from the Mm -hmm. shining um and i think that's like sort of the the skeleton key for the movie because you know the shining the whole thing about the shining is like you know built on native american burial ground sort of like Mm -hmm. this genocide happened in the background of um this sort of american institution 
and then some of the more like uh subliminal or like conspiratorial easter eggs and stuff uh, i mean I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like oh the crossfade at the end gives jack a hitler mustache which is maybe intentional <laughs> but you know there there are explicit ties to the holocaust and so that's where i think um shutter island shares that dna of like i don't know this genocidal trauma bleeding through into um you know mid 20th century american life and alcoholism and ptsd and and failure to cope Mm. And The Shining almost like predates uh, mindfuck cinema. <laughs> like yeah. that's the original uh, nucleus of, of all that. Because <laughs> right. then, um, yeah, he's then springboarding into Shutter Island. It's almost like this can take that concept of um, it's not when this person will break, but it or like if. This person, or it, it's not if this person break, but when, and because um, like immediately once you arrive there, like something is so off. But then like no one is acknowledging like what's going on here. It's just a matter of, um, you know, it's and, and they're both centered around men who are on like missions and trying to like fulfill those missions. And like for Jack, it's like complete and like uh, caretaking a, a, a hotel. But then like. Here it's like trying to solve, like trying to like, then solve that mystery of of the Rachel that went missing. It's that, but then combined with like, oh wait, like something is wrong here, but also I have to solve the missing person. Where then you kind of, then Marty gets to like combine the noir elements. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting comparison. I'm thinking of what you said about how you know we're going to keep using this term because i think it's funny mind fuck movies and how audiences respond to those really well and they still do i think twit that you know these upset this is obsession with twist ha- like you know what's the twist has never really ended it's only faded because movies have like a lot of movies have gotten worse at twists or whatever or like it's like the popularity is still there like people want to be fooled people want to be like oh my god um, it's just the quality of, you know, those twists nowadays just don't really hit the same because of how the film is so focused. Like the film is based on the twist rather than the actual like, like characters and how do you get to the twist and things like that. But also mm-hmm. just like, I think people, all, everyone wants to watch a movie and then by the end think of like, just complete and then think about all the scenes that happened in that movie and try to be like, oh, so that means this, ha-. you know, it's like, it's also, you know, maybe it's not necessarily even just like mind fuck or twist. It's just like that whole idea of mystery box, mystery box movies, mystery box television, trying to figure the thing out. Um, I watched it with my girlfriend and her sister, um, and they figured out the patient thing. Like not all of the details. Like I don't think they, they didn't totally get that he was, that um, Rachel was his wife and that he, his kids were also dead. I didn't catch that part, but they got like he's been a patient for a while thing pretty quickly. Um, when I first watched it, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, I didn't think about like I was completely fooled. Um, I was like 15 or something. Um, and then over the years, I mean, you know, people were considered his lesser work, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, there's actually not, you know, it doesn't feel like there's like a ton of like real personal passion in the film and things like that. 
but I hadn't rewatched it before this and rewatching it. I think I'm just such a fan of thrillers in general, like especially psychological thrillers, and I, I and I feel like they just modern one. It, it's so hard to come by like a really great modern thriller that I just really appreciated on that level and just to like feel like a detective story, a noir story, something that I feel like I was. I was just watching a journey progress and I was watching someone's mind like try to figure something out and also just have all these little details come into play and you feeling kind of in the dark but also excited about how much you didn't know. So I think I think that's why I really mm-hmm. responded to the movie this time around. Um, but I, I, an, another piece of the film was the mental health aspect um because i forgot how i don't know the coda of the film but like the end is really more of like the whole twist itself and that's why i think also the twist works is that it makes there's a lot of different motivations and meanings to the twist because if you take it from the dicaprio's perspective it's like or like you know um andrew latest's perspective it's like, oh my god, he's, you know, he was completely delusional. He now realizes what has happened, blah blah blah. Like that's a, like his whole reality has been shifted. But if you look at the perspective of Kingsley and Ruffalo, you have this whole uh, another idea in this like kind of in this narrative that is introduced early in the film that is also like the big end is that there's a war happening when it comes to treating the mentally ill. Whether it be through empathy, or empathy and sympathy and trying to treat them as like human beings or to you know lobotomize them and treat them with cruelty as if they're animals and cage them up there's these two uh, in how that is like a very that's very central to the idea of how the twist even happened and the passion and interest that went into creating this reality this false reality and I find that, and I found that aspect more interesting this time around. And how, at the end, it's like empathy, empathy, and treating people like a human being isn't always rewarded. That doesn't always lead to the the best outcome, even though it's the right thing to do. And that the world will, and if the moment there's a there's a real obstacle to that, um, to treating someone with empathy, if there's inconveniences with that, they will revert to cruelty and trying to solve a problem by treating people like less than like animals like subhuman um and lobotomize them and rob them of their humanity it's that it, it, you know it you know it reminded me of, of course of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest another jack nicholson film about like how the end how it's better to it, the um uh, i forget the character's name but suffocates nicholson to death because it's better to live like that than be completely without any humanity left. Yeah, this is the total inverse. Where he's, like, basically choosing to get lobotomized. I forgot that part of the film. And I don't even know if I realized that when I first watched it, that it was a strong possibility that he was faking. Like, it basically... He basically confirms he was like, I actually do understand what reality is. I just want this done. I I don't want to live in this world anymore. Mm -hmm. But... I mean, obviously, it's not confirmed, confirmed, but I completely either missed that or completely forgot about it when I first watched this movie. So when I that line of, you know, the you know, I've been wondering, is it good, you know, is it better to live as a monster or die as a good man? 
um, that was like, oh shit, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, no, it all puts that into question. So like the, it's a different movie right. without the that. The mental line. health aspect yeah. though is, yeah. is something that yeah. came to me, and I, I think Marty, and it's not something Marty deals with too much in his career, um, mm-hmm. and that focus on an yeah. industry like that. He does like you know tackle industries, but just some, something in this particular is not necessarily something he's showed interest mm-hmm. in before that I found interesting. Especially like this industry in a right. moment of history, like a very key like moment. Other... Yeah, the whole idea that um, yeah, it's like they're they're adopting Nazi techniques at this facility. Um, the whole mental health analysis of the film is kind of a springboard for a, a broader examination of post-war technological developments and you know how much of that was owed to the atrocities of the holocaust in world war ii and um how much that sort of makes up the kind of average american identity scorsese is always trying to define Mm -hmm. um and, and that also goes back to the whole shining thing about uh you know american institution built on atrocity and, and genocide and i also think it's it's kind of crazy that like there's this obvious connection to the shining um shutter island is obviously about the holocaust um but the shining is more so about native american genocide and then of course you know killers of the flower moon just came out and i feel like I don't know. He's he's kind of circling these themes over and over again, um, and just like I thought of Killer Mode a lot when watching this. Yeah, totally. As as, as Leo be, oh, being manipulated into others' um, visions of what their land should look like, I guess is a vague way of saying. But, right, and uh, and actually, this will be out watching. Um, Cape Fear, um, and because that movie is also just so loaded. Like, you know, the the original has all this subtext about Americana and, uh, you know, spheres of domesticity or whatever, and like American mm-hmm. uh, ideals. But um, there's this one scene in Scorsese's. Uh, it's the parade scene. And I, I, it's been a while since I saw the original. I don't remember if there's, like, an equivalent. But, um, you know, Max Cady's, like, staring at uh, Jessica Lang And Nick Nolte's like, I, I got to go show him a thing or two. I, I've had it with this guy. And, like, starts beating him <laughs> up just in the middle of the crowd. And, like, you know, it's a mm-hmm. 4th of July parade. And these guys who are reenacting the Iwo Jima flag image just, like, go by on this parade float and they're just staring at him and it's like you know evoke very much evoking like the eyes of god looking down on like right us you know it's this ideal of american values looking down on him but then the the crazy irony that like in that scene like 20 feet in front of the the iwo jima guys they're carrying this like giant confederate flag because that movie takes place in like I forget which southern state, Georgia or, or Mississippi or something. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's like, you know, even though this ideal of American values or whatever is, is looking down on what we've become since, um, he's kind of also saying that, like, 
you know, the framework of that idealism has sort of been corrupt from the start. And like, it's, it's always been rotten. Um, and I think that Mm -hmm. scene is paralleled, uh, in that, uh, kkk parade scene in in killers of the flower moon where he just casually walks past the um the doctor guy who's like yeah, a, a the clan one that leader. finances molly's and he's money. like oh hey how's it going yeah, yeah um yeah right yeah just that that casual dominance of these um or, or the casual presence of these um i don't know awful parts of our history that are still like you know we like to think that it is history and and we're past it or whatever but like it's clearly still on the periphery and even like further uh drawn a connection to like uh max von Sydow's nazi connections exactly and, and all that of course um because um, it's it's not i think at the time it's like it's presented so objectively that it's then like, oh, this is just a part of this person's past, and it's something that there's that that there's a relationship that that character has to an evil institution. But then, rather, it's just like once it, once we take a step back and and it's now like told within the context of the story, and these things are like embedded within these like you know the uh, the um, um, mental hospital systems it's embedded within or like the osage county it's embedded within right it's like it's not separated at all yeah um i i wanted to ask pivoting slightly um on second viewing um yeah how 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 were the performances i i guess um because i remember watching it and like even leo i was like you know this was coming right after the departed he's got a, a pretty solid boston accent in that one from what i remember and like the accents are just so off in this and like i feel like a lot of the the ruffalo and kingsley performances are just like wonky and obviously it's part of the like the Mm -hmm. facade of it all and and i think ruffalo by design becomes considerably better once it's revealed that he's the doctor um but i yeah yeah, I'm, I guess I'm wondering to what extent those, like, performance cues are, are sort of noticeable on, on second view. Um, I got a lot more appreciation on I, Leo. I, time. I, think I agree. I think Leo definitely grew on me this time around. I, <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, the other characters and actors and stuff, like, Discerning what is, you know, them putting on an act and what is genuine. Um, yeah, it, it can be hard to jumble. The accent thing, I didn't even notice it. I, at some, I, I've kind of grown a deaf ear to it, unless it's, like, something that I can't even kind of mm-hmm. move past. Um, but I just, I don't know. I'm not, I just had a deaf ear to it. Um, I mean, besides, I think Leo, I think sometimes it's just like, when he, anytime he says Marshall, I'm just like, Marshall. And it's just like, oh, that's funny. Mamashal. It's so funny. Um, but besides that, I'm just like, I think Kingsley really stood out to me this time around. And obviously it has a lot to do with that ending. Yeah. Um, his mm-hmm. tenacity in just present, in confronting him with everything and his continu- continuing show of strength and 
you know, assertiveness of like, no, this is happening to you. It is time to wake up. Showing that sense of urgency, but also that empathy. Um, I, I, I really, I, I really just, I really appreciated Kingsley much more. He's definitely the performance that stood out to me this time around, because of his. Again, it's that. I mean, a lot of his, a lot of his dialogue and a lot of his character is, you know, it, it it's it's one of the central things about the theme of, empa- you know, operating with empathy or operating with cruelty, and what society rewards more and what we're more. Um, uh, what more more te- what is more uh, of a tendency to do is it to act in cruelty or act in empathy if like what is the most common reaction in us as people or as institutions and so a lot of that you know that last 20 minutes or something um, of Kingsley really really um, worked for me um, and then other moments again when he's talking about that idea of when he every time he corrects uh, corrects um, uh, uh, Andrew Latus with, or at that point Teddy Edwards, um, or not Teddy Edwards, Jesus Christ, Teddy uh, Teddy, Teddy Daniels. Daniels? Um, when he always, all the times he corrects him, saying patient instead of prisoner. I think that that little consistency of character there, one that's the writing, but I also think uh, Kingsley carries that really well. Um. In Ruffalo, again, we've already mentioned. I think, yeah, when he when it twists to that point of him, um, of him revealing himself, I really appreciated. Obviously, as I know the twist, I'm looking for more like kind of clues of what's happening, um, and see mm-hmm. if I can spot like, oh yes, that makes sense, or blah blah blah. Um, it's a lot of subtlety um, with looks and stuff, and like reactions to things. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially from... Like the moment when he can't get the gun out of his pocket. He's like fumbling with it. Because well, like, he's not a officer. Well, no, I mean that... Oh, um, oh, that's actually... Fuck, I didn't even think... Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but also just um, just reactions to things being said. Like just reaction shots of um, particularly Ruffalo in a lot of instances. When he sees... Um, uh, you know, when... Uh, uh, when Teddy is going against his wishes of trying to put himself in more danger of assaulting other people. And just those little, those moments are like breaking. It's like, you know, like during the SNL sketch, when you see a, you know, an actor break, um, you're kind of be like, Oh, I can see like the little, um, I can see the, uh, see where it's kind of falling apart for him because it's not going according to plan. Um, I think those are the moments that I think work. It's definitely not seamless. This is kind of an awkward movie in a lot of ways. It's kind of clunky. I almost like it that way, though. I don't know. It, it's like an imperfect object. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of appreciate how kind of around the ed- shaggy around the edges it is um, because it feels very, again, I don't know, raw, but also this does feel like a slapdash operation that has a lot of different you know, messiness around it that makes it a little more compelling to watch instead of something a little more sanitized or clean or like, you know, put together in every like round hole or whatever. Like it doesn't, it's not like a, it doesn't fit perfectly mm-hmm. like a Lego set. It's a little, you know, it's a little clunky. Um, I, I, I kind of appreciate that aspect of it. Um, but I do think Leo gives a really strong performance here. Um, I think uh, my issues, I think at times are with, um, oh 
fuck. Who's uh, who plays his dead wife? I don't know why I can't think. Michelle. Michelle Williams. Williams yes. I think there's. I th- I think that's. Yeah. Those are some. There moments. Some moments of her. I I lose a little. I, I I lose a little. Um. Or I lose a little. Uh. Not confidence, but. I'm a little distracted by some of you know just her line readings and mm-hmm. how the character is presented. It's but it's hard because a lot of it's like again a hallucination or whatever. But it, yeah. it doesn't fully work for me. That's the one performance that I'm. Mm. It's a little sweaty whenever a movie has to like visually represent uh, a hallucination. Like that can't ever be totally uh, like seamless. Um, no matter who's making it. I, it, it works fine here. I agree, though. It, it, I do. I do like it as, as like it's stuck together with like scotch tape and rubber bands. Um, because ultimately it's it's just like they're put. You know, like one could even argue like, is this? I'm not even gonna make the argument, but it's like, is this about movie making, <laughs> right? Is this about uh, putting on a show for one person, the audience? Uh, everyone plays their part. I don't mean to be like. You know, five things you missed about Shutter Island, but um, you know, I, I guess I guess it works more because like that famous reading of um, Inception is like that too. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, of course, yeah. I I do think I mean Inception's definitely about making movies, and I think that reading of Shutter Island. It is funny how that up. used to be like a secret reading, and now that is like what it's yeah, about. like the moment it's, Ford it's like so came clear out, in people were like, oh, it's about making movies. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I uh, think to that that point about like the the rough around the edges qualities. Um, I, I was thinking a lot about like some of the sort of clearly green screened backdrops in this film, and just how much more, I guess, ambitious it is with these like action set pieces. I mean, you know, Scorsese's no stranger to sprawling films with a, a lot of action or whatever but like just thinking about like the cliff uh climbing scene um stuff like that or even on the boat um just this clear yeah i, I don't know i feel like this marked uh, a point for for scorsese sort of leaning in on the artifice a bit and i don't know if that's mm-hmm. just like happenstantial maybe back then they were just like yeah this looks this looks real let's let's run with it um but i think um you know in in trying to tie this to uh the podcast and specifically being about his his work in the 2010s i think there is a you know you can find a precedent here for stuff like you know a common reading of like the de-aging in the irishman is like oh no it's supposed to look wonky because it's you know his his memories and subjective or whatever mm-hmm. um and like i i don't know if that's if i necessarily buy into that reading of specifically the cgi de-aging um i think that was just because he wanted to make the whole movie with de niro and pesci and pacino but i i do think yeah. like a lot of the settings in that movie are like very clearly pastiche versions of stuff like in Goodfellas. Um, and Shutter Island, I was reading, is apparently the, his, the last movie he made that was shot entirely on film, which I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I think... think it's, I think Robert Richardson might have something to do with that, and then 
switching to Rodrigo Pierto. Yeah. Um, as I, I think yeah, Wolf of Wall Street on, like, they were together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Just that idea of artifice. Um, not sure if it was intentional, but if, of course, we can now look back at it and be like, yeah, these backdrops are wonky because he's playing pretend he's got this you know detective voice because he's playing detective all this stuff and like even killers of the flower moon um i mean the ending is is all about the construction of the film and the the limitations of filmmaking and artifice and stuff and Mm -hmm. so i i feel like i mean i i don't know if he was really i can't think of examples before Shutter Island of him getting into that. Hugo being obviously about the genesis of film is also, you know, clearly showing the artifice and you know, the the innovations and ingenuities of the medium are sort mm-hmm. of like I I don't know, just a clear interest in those limitations. I don't know. Um maybe there, there's something I either haven't seen or I, I'm not thinking of, but um, I don't know. I feel like that kind of makes this a very decisive line for him or a, a threshold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like he enjoys exploring the histories of where things have come from that he enjoys or that he has like a particular in, uh, interest in. As as this, this is something that you know is a period piece but then com- is, was commented on as being influenced by other noirs and other thrillers of that time and then you're also like commenting of um of the history of like mental illness in America but then he he always he always finds like a really um great ability to adapt um of course like literally adaptations as as you know um, this Irishman, Wolf of Wall Street, all these are um, book to film adaptations, but then also adapt like his style. Like there's a reason why uh, he has still, um, he's on TikTok and, and Letterboxd and all this. Like he's like integrated himself into the um, filmmaking community Absolutely. into his 80s. And folks like um, Francis Ford Coppola and, you know, Pete Bogdanovich even, like they couldn't really, like, flow into um decades on from when they were at their peak but um i find i find it interesting that (laughs) something like this that is like ripping off from like uh north by northwest and spellbound can can these can be this accessible (laughs) right because he realized like that's that's how you stay um adaptive is how I read it. It's like you do take your Cape Fears, your Color of Monies, and your uh, your your Shutter Islands, and it becomes you know a movie that people love who who um, you know don't watch a lot of movies. Um, and yeah, he just keeps he just you know keeps these interesting references in there, and these interesting commentaries on America. At any given opportunity, he prioritizes showcasing his characters as products of their environment and sort of doing justice to conveying that environment and like actually fleshing out the the world and the context these characters are are growing up in because you know they're not just characters it's all the real world and like 
an actual history and then he then takes the the his, like the he takes from uh like where where film was at around the time he's he's adapting or whatever so shutter island takes place in the 50s and he's drawing from these 50s noir films and and you mentioned coppola i'm thinking about like bram stoker's dracula i think that's like the early yeah. 1910s is when it takes place and so it's drawing from like mm -hmm. very early maybe even like 1890s it's drawing from like lumiere uh not you know diegetic footage but like he takes so much from from the medium and puts it in historical context killers of the flower moon with all the large format photos embedded and the whole like history of the osage being presented as like a um i don't know a, a show reel from the time um but then like you said like being able to tap into those older um languages of the of film um but put them in a context that is accessible for for modern audiences is probably his biggest strength um i mean mm -hmm. wolf of wall street is oh yeah like we were saying it's it's just goodfellas again but it's like you know goodfellas was like i don't know i, I feel like he managed to sort of get the youth on board with with wolf of with wolf of wall street uh the same way he did with uh with goodfellas and like i don't know may, maybe i'm just reiterating what you were saying but um yeah i can't no, think yeah, of any other filmmakers who are able to across so many decades like have the same um potency i think he's always cool i think that's it too, I, yeah. you know like he's just the coolest like guy. It, <laughs> that's a secret where I, I guess maybe that's obvious but um you know and, and he's cool because uh he reinvents uh himself by making the same movie every decade <laughs> um and uh you know even even if some things are like oh that's the secret um you know top shelf scorsese like age of innocence or after hours uh that that's not that's it's like the most popular films are always going to be what he's going to be known for. Uh, yeah, it's just a career with like all sorts of directions. But I think I think it's just very fascinating that this is his movie that he deals with Holocaust, the Holocaust the most, unless I'm forgetting something. Um, this is some, and it's in. It, but it's also not like a Holocaust movie. It's this weird kind of, not weird, but it's this interesting connection he's drawing and how much he's focusing on it with those flashbacks and how much, how important part, how important it is to the movie, even though I don't even think they say the words Holocaust in it. I don't think they really like, they don't, yeah, yeah, I don't think yeah they like do. they don't have like a long, real conversation about what happened or whatever. There's no, and there's no, it doesn't like total, and like when he's getting revealed about his reality and his mental breakdown, they don't really talk about what happened with his time in the war. I mean, they mention it, they mentioned maybe he didn't actually kill those, um, or execute those Nazi soldiers. I don't, you know, it's, it's so he makes it a very important part of the movie visually, but not necessarily, and like, you know, thematically, but not necessarily plot wise. 
And it seems to me that he felt that it was literally like a core piece of the film that maybe, and I haven't read the book, but maybe doesn't, isn't as featured in the book as it is in the film, but I don't know. I haven't read it. Um, it's interesting that like he read or like he, that was his big takeaway when approaching the subject, approaching the um, material. It shows like we've been talking about his proclivities to addressing uh, that violence and the cycle of violence and this idea that the Nazis did not have a trademark on human cruelty. That wasn't, that's not something they originated. They committed one of the most cruelest things ever in recorded history, but that's not something they invented. And that's not something that, and they're not, and you know, it's not responsible for all of the cruelty that happened after. Um, And that idea of Leo wanting to prevent that, that like constant, like I can't, you know, and how, even though the idea of the lobotomy is, the lobotomies are, you know, made so that there, there can be the next genocidal army in the next 50 years was a fabrication but he didn't make up those lobotomies actually existing that wasn't a fabrication that wasn't part of this distorted view of reality that's something that is actually real and that is a form of human cruelty and that is something he didn't make up um it's that and so it's like that idea of how we never learn the real lessons after any real massacre or or mass campaign of cruelty. We don't really like we don't learn from our mistakes. We just cherry pick it. Like, okay. Well, anti-Semitism and genocide is really bad. Okay. I mean, obviously there's genocides and anti-Semitism doesn't happen after that, but Let's make sure, you know, that's, but that's the main takeaway instead of like the act, like the actions taken in those concentration camps and the act of war crimes that happened and the, like the sense of barbaric, um, you know, pure cruelty that happened in that war. Because like, yeah, because then, you know, there's plenty, been plenty of, you know, so, you know, concentration camps in our history, in the world history since then, or, you know. Uh, acts of human cruelty and torture and like you know Guantanamo Bay and things like that so you know obviously I'm kind of going real long on something that's not super explicit in the film but that was just my takeaway with those kind of additions to it and it does feel like a Marty touch it doesn't necessarily feel like that was integral to the source material yeah and like I haven't read the book either but even if that stuff is present in the book like historical context and all that certain like i'm thinking about the the one take <clears throat> the one take um dolly shot where they're just like mowing down all the nazis at dachau i feel like it's really good That's just really like good shot. it was like really cool yeah i mean yeah um and like just lingering on that for so long is sort of his way of saying like with with no i know he was sort of like has been known to severely alter you know all the all the scripts he directed or whatever but that's something that without even changing what's on the page just the way it's shot and edited 
conveys like this is what the movie's really about like you know it's fun watching leo bumble his way through this asylum or whatever but this is this is what we're really getting at here i find it interesting that yeah even with all these little touches of his own interests and things he wants to wrestle with he still feels it's still he will talk about it as a one for them movie um and that might be mm-hmm. true of the case. Right. And a lot of times the one for them movies are still like show great or, you know, still their directors don't like finesse, like phone it in. They still put their love right. and passion. They work on it for years. How would they not? Um, but you know, I, 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 it's definitely a film that is almost, it's much more loved by people who aren't necessarily Scorsese fans. And I find that really interesting. Yeah, like I guess we've already talked about this, but yeah, how it is connected with the outer reaches, the you know outer regions of film pop culture or film culture in general. Um, you know, the letterbox and IMDb years of, or you know, it's it's kind of reached outside of that in a way. It kind of feels like a safe movie you can recommend it to anybody. Yeah, and it would be a safe option although i feel like 90 percent of scorsese is a pretty safe recommendation that's the thing he doesn't but, really make bad movies you know. it's just not like a thing that happens like nor yeah. alienating ones um like sure you couldn't you know recommend silence or like last temptation of christ to your co-worker but um I, I think for the most part like yeah, just his ability to grapple with all this um, incredibly heavy um, historical baggage in, a, a, I don't know, delivery that's still so, not just fun, but like sort of universally enjoyable. Um, I, don't, I mean, I, obviously the whole like Marvel thing has, you know, it made him a little more factioned than he might have been like five years ago but that's like but the the secret a a very online well exactly that's the thing it's like the people that for some reason don't want to talk about is that the majority of people do not fucking care like 95 percent of actual people do not care and i'm even including because not and people also like to think that everyone who loves film is on twitter and i I, it's just this complete constant like actually you know like a generalization that happens um i mean it's still like and i'm not saying like no one should have a debate about it or whatever i mean i don't fucking care but but at some point one like there's just ever you know the marvel side or whatever those like fanboys are operating in such bad faith it's crazy to me anyone is still operating with it and at the end of the day it doesn't matter because his movie still, you know, got released. It's still making. It's you know, it's still made a good chunk of money. It's he's still like on Time Magazine. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I I just wanted to say that because we've talked been talking about Scorsese for like, you know, three episodes or two episodes, two to three episodes now. Um, or no, three episodes, four episodes for Jack. But I I just think that this kind of needs to be said at least once, and. I just yeah. I'm I'm surprised by the time our this comes out, our Irishman episode will be out. But we don't bring it up at all in the Irishman episode, which I was thankful about. Uh, um, I I hesitated to bring it I, up, but um, <laughs> you know it's it's worth no no I, I 
yeah, it is worth addressing as I guess it's so funny. It's that whole thing is just yeah, very funny. I'm, I'm sure we're all on the same. It's page now attached like, to him. There's just so much more to talk about. Like everything, <laughs> even like tangentially tied to the whole Marvel debacle, is just the most like I don't know boring inconsequential stuff that's just been blown out of proportion by a very loud small group of people yeah and to think like those comments were made months after endgame and and it's like that's when his last movie was out and how his next movie is out and how much has has gone on in the course of that within marvel and he's completely right. And when he was right at the time, but I, I mean, in my perspective, <clears throat> I think that's when the conversation was starting to happen of like, are we sure that Marvel is doing okay? And, you know, all the, all the hubbub about Endgame uh, doing so well and how that was sort of their victory lap movie. Uh, and then, yeah, like Scorsese was, he was right. He was right. Yeah, I but, mean, to, but, to but he's going to be that variety asked article about it. Was never today, today, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for for the viewers at home, uh, we're probably listening to this a few days after, or maybe weeks. I don't, uh, what's your schedule for releasing these? Saturdays. Gotcha. And this is going to be out in um, three weeks from this Saturday, or two weeks from this Saturday. Gotcha. Peek behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, but do do we do you have any thoughts, Taylor, on uh, on Leo, his career, him as an actor? Um, we never got your uh, take on the performances because um, he's in an interesting era right now. Uh, he's about to do J. Edgar. Uh, he just came off of. Body of Lies and Blood Diamond, <laughs> the hits, you know. Um, but the same year he has Inception, you know. I, I would say with, I mean, as, as we discussed earlier, the average um, movie goer, I think the his 2010, like, sort of defined um, his his, uh, his most famous roles, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm generally very pro- um yeah, you know, I, I feel like at worst he's like serviceable. Um he, he never really <laughs> drags a film down. Um of course I like rag on his accent a bit in, in Shutter Island. Uh and, and maybe it's part of the, the whole ruse of the film. But I, I think for the most part he's um he, he's pretty great and especially as he's been more selective with his roles, you can really feel him like I don't know, sort of taking in the the gravity of each performance. Um, That era you're talking about, like Blood Diamond and and Body of Lies. And um, he he was a very busy man back then. And like, I don't know, I I kind of appreciate that he he took that hiatus. He's so selective nowadays. Yes. And you can't even fathom him having two movies in one year. Uh, That's all. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I, I... Weirdly enough, a lot of my my close friends are, like, pretty anti-Leo. And, like, actually my girlfriend's pretty uh, predisposed to not 
enjoy him as a performer. And so when we were watching Shutter Island, she'd seen it a few times before, but like I'm on this crusade of like, he's a good actor, believe me. And then I, I don't think I made the best case <laughs> for myself with Shutter Island. Yeah. Uh, that that is funny because I because it's like he hasn't necessarily done anything wrong except for maybe follow uh, age limits well. within um, pursuing partners. Um, but I forgot to mention Revolutionary Road, which is a performance I quite like. Uh, little Titanic reunion, underrated performance. Yeah, I still haven't seen Revolutionary Road. The mm -hmm. one time I started watching it, it was. I think on like Amazon Prime or Netflix, and it was in the wrong aspect ratio. So I, I stopped, and I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> That's the filmmaker's eye, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, no, I've I've been burnt too many times yeah. watching a movie, and then only learning afterward that it was like cropped by Netflix to sixteen nine. Um, so now I, I check before every movie if it's on streaming. Yeah. That and, and and they do that to so many more movies that are their own and or even that are older than like Revolutionary Road, where it's like they just need it to fit cell phones and laptops and TVs and it's like oh my god. <laughs> it's so disrespectful. Yeah. Um but we've talked about Leo a few times, like in Wolf of Wall Street, Great Gatsby, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think we I think he's a fairly one of our most consistent actors in the decade, safe to say. Um, he won an Oscar this decade. A very good <laughs> this decade. Is stuff that for everyone knows. But, yeah. He's one of those actors <laughs> that it's more um, like it's just like yeah. I also. He's very dependable. I think we've run out of opinions for him. Like I, I mean, I'm not saying that we oh we should stop talking about Leo. I'm saying that I have nothing to offer that's anything of like I've made my feelings of him known on the podcast. I think he's a terrific actor and I think he does great work. And you know, sometimes he blows it, but every actor does it. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing I can really say now is, um, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can suffer through another don't look up. If he does that again, I'm, uh, I don't know. I can't, that's one of the most unforgivable performances he's ever given. And it's not like he's. I forgot about. It's that. not like he's the worst. It's not like he's he's not even the he's obviously he's not even close to the worst performance in that movie. But that doesn't mean he's not hor horrible in it. I, I think that movie is just embarrassing no. for everyone involved. So yeah. I, so that's one of those things where would we we could even make the argument it's his worst performance. It's hard not to think so. I mean, I don't know. I haven't. I don't I've never seen yeah, hard, uh, yeah. J. Edgar. Which that's I also found it funny he mentioned yeah. J. Edgar, yeah. like J. Edgar Hoover in this, and, and I told my girlfriend, you know he played J. Edgar at one point? <laughs> like, that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon. J. Edgar, Killers of the Flower Moon, Jaggers oh, mentioned. In the, yeah, Jesse Plemons yeah. is yeah, like, or Leo's mm -hmm. like, the president send you? And he's like, J. Edgar Hoover sent no, me. Jay Wait, Plemons is another yeah. Hoover agent? <laughs> yeah. 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 Leo's like, are you a Pinkerton guy? And he's like, no, that's uh, this new so thing. So Jesse Plemons has Bureau. played two under. That's a good Plemons impression. Plemons has played two <laughs> underlings or, or two different underlings of J. Edgar Hoover in two different movies. Because he was um, he was a one of Hoover's agents in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, damn! I forgot about that. Isn't that interesting? I didn't think I didn't know that. I, I guess so. Yeah. Um. I, I think don't yeah. look up, like, 
I get it from Leo's perspective. He's uh, this big environmentalist, and everyone involved in that movie kind of <laughs> deluded themselves into thinking they were doing this like public service um, and like spreading awareness. Um, so, like, I, I think if anything, that was more of like I feel like Leo approached it closer to how he pro- uh, approaches like his nature exactly. docs and environmental exactly. docs than like you know something like killers of the flower moon or once upon a time in hollywood yeah and i I can i can also see it as like oh i just wanted to try out a comedy but it's like you're you've been funny and so many different things and it's he's such an unfunny performance oh yeah i mean i I think Uh, it all boils down to to adam mckay um Mm -hmm. but um yeah yeah I, i don't know and also, this movie is pretty unfunny. I noticed because so many of Scorsese's oh, movies yeah. are yeah, have, have a like lot of jokes in them. Killers of the Flower Moon is funnier than Shutter Island. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. I didn't even mean to do that. Yeah, no, it's really well, hey, there you go. No, it, it's it's hysterical. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> hysterical. Okay, you use that word way too much. <laughs> I've heard you say hysterical about some movies, and I'm like, you could just call it funny. You don't need to say hysterical. I just mean like how how it's like, Killers of Flower Moon is f- hysterical more than no, yeah, I get, Shutter I get. Island. But um, just trying to dig myself out, um, and it's it's one of those things that uh, I, I find it that this it's another aspect that this separates itself from Scorsese's filmography. That it's like he can insert dark humor into places where you wouldn't expect it, like. After Hours and, like, um, Last Temptation of Christ, even. Yeah, I, I saw um, someone describe Killers of the Flower Moon as, like, just a whole movie of the scene from Oppenheimer where he's like, I honeymooned in Kyoto. And, like, I, I, that's honestly, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I think I saw that before I, I actually watched the movie. And, like, it ended up being more accurate than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the whole. uh, That's it's very accurate. It it sounds like you're planning on adopting and then murdering your children, or the. I I adopted a child once. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But um, yeah, I I forget the, the train of thought I was I was going today. Um, Mm -hmm. is there anything else we want to mention before we get to favorite scene? Um, do we want to talk about Ruffalo? at all he's good i mean fine i don't know i like him he's good yeah my girlfriend and Mm -hmm. my and her sister got really excited when they saw mark ruffalo though that was the funny thing to me they're like mark ruffalo's in this i'm like really Mm. i mean i like him but it was just one of those things you see like leonardo dicaprio (laughs) and then they see mark ruffalo like oh my god and it's like yeah a a soft zodiac reunion for um john carroll lynch and um yeah jcl not enough in him Um, jackie earl elias coteus that's right yeah Jackie Earl Haley, yeah. So yeah, one of your guys. I love yeah. Jackie Earl Haley. You're not locked in here yeah. with, or I'm not locked in here with you. You are locked in here with me. Um, I could do my uh, my Rorschach impression, but I will not. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I think he's really, really, really solid. And honestly, if unless we really want to say anything else, I am going to transition to favorite scene because that is my favorite scene of the film. <laughs> because I, uh, I really nice. like that scene with. Um, George Noyce and Leo because it's still before the twist you know still before the um, reveal but 
obviously that's where it pretty much it's the most um the hints are the most overt in that scene but Mm -hmm. i also really i don't know i like that they're cut those two characters are coming from such different angles and the one can't really understand the other too well i mean uh George understands latest more because, you know, he, he understands his, his bit. But this kind of... But with Leo being so... Feels so bad and have so much empathy for a duty almost beat to death is just a very interesting character like character work. Um, but I, I also, you know, like... You know, and that's when the a lot of the themes are the most explicit, but Noyce just begging for him to let her go. Let her go, let her go. And that you will not leave this island if, you know, and, and it's just, it has a lot of dramatic weight to it. It's a very serious scene. It, it, I mean, everything in this movie is serious, as we said, but it feels like very weighty and it feels like a really, like a very important part of the film. And I think Scorsese handles it really well. I think Leo's doing great work too, as, you know, with the, like, yeah, as, he has, as he's having a hallucination on the side while also trying to interact with George. Um, I, and I love how that, that cell is um filmed too like the use like how how he manages um the shadows and how dark it can be but also you can see everything so clearly um i i just i I, i'm also just in the bag for her um jackie all the time i just love him so but no that was that was definitely my favorite Mm -hmm. scene Let me see your face. They say I'm there's no. They say I'll never leave here. The mansion's about to go out. Let me see your goddamn face now! What? So you can lie to me more? This isn't about the truth. Yes, it is. It's about exposing the truth. It's about you! Ladies. That's all it's ever been about. I was incidental. I'm way in. George. George Noyce. No. It's not possible. You can't be here. You like it? Who did this to you, George? You did. What the hell do you mean? Well, you talk. Well, you fucking talk. And I'm back in here because of you. George, how, how did they get you out of Dedham, huh? However this happened, I, I, I'm going to find a way to fix this. You understand me? I'll never get out, no. I got out once, not twice, never twice. Please tell me how they got you here. They knew! Don't you get it? Everything you were up to, your whole plan, this is a game. All of this is for you. You want to investigate an interview? You're a fucking rat in a maze. George, George, you're wrong. You're wrong. Really? Been alone much since you got here? I've been with my partner. 
You never worked with him before, have you? Easy. He's a U.S. Marshal. You've Shuffles. never worked with him before, have you? George, look, I, I know people. I, I trust this man. And they've already won. They're gonna take me to the lighthouse. They're gonna cut into my brain. And I'm only here because of you! George, I'm, I'm gonna get you out of here. You're not going to the lighthouse. You're not. You can't dig out the truth and kill Latus at the same time. You, you, you gotta make a choice. You understand that, don't you? I'm not here to kill anyone. Liar! I'm not gonna kill him, I swear to you. I swear. Let her go. Let her go. Tell him, Ted. Tell him why. You gotta do it. There's no other way. Let her go. Tell him about the day you brought me my locket. You gotta do it! How I told you my heart was breaking and you asked me why. She's fucking with your head. And I told you it was from happiness. She's gonna kill you. She's gonna kill you. You want to uncover the truth? You gotta let it go. I can't. You have to let it go! I can't! I can't! And you'll never leave this island. Not in this ward. He's transferred out of here. If he's not in Ward A, there's only one place he can be. The lighthouse. Hey. Uh, Taylor, do you have a scene that's your favorite from Shutter Island? Or, if not, I can go. Um, the, the one that comes to mind is probably the the flashback to what really happened at the oh, lake house. so upsetting. Um, because mm, I, I, yeah, I remember fa- it, that's fantastic. It started. And that was hysterical. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> it, it when it started, I was thinking like, you know, we know what happened. Do we really need to see it? But it's it's one of those examples of like, you know, film isn't just like rollout of information. Like even though mm-hmm. we know everything that happens in the scene beforehand, um, and it doesn't really subvert anything. As far as I I know, I'm pretty sure Ben Kingley tells him everything before the the flashback. But just like watching it all play out in pretty much real time, I think um, is just so bleak and and crushing i don't know um i I feel like that really anchored the movie for me
Put them at the table, Andrew. We'll dry them off. We'll change their clothes. They'll be our living dolls. Huh? Tomorrow we could take them on a picnic. If you ever want me, Dolores, please stop. So much. I love you like And uh, Shelley Williams' performance really anchors it, uh, and her like complete like emotional like depletion. <laughs> it's just it's it's just really good. And then like Leo's like realization, it's it all just like clicks and in, clicks in together well. Um, yeah, without that scene, I feel like I feel like it's it's just mostly you know that that. You just have to believe um, the the appearances by Michelle Williams even more, but with it, I think it just like it sells that that backstory yeah. better. Um, I think we're all gonna pick one scene performances <laughs> mostly here because I'm thinking about Patty Clarkson in the cave. We've all met her um, in the rainstorm uh, when we need her most. Very good um, work at establishing kind of like the JEH scene of like uh, something is not right here. Like it's kind of dropping hints about the reveal. Um, and then I like it when, and then it's cool when she drops the line of like, you had no partner, where it's like, oh, what's that like about? And then um, like that, yeah, the performance is really great and she's never bad. Keep this. 
you're mine. Fine by me. Solando, the real one. Did you kill your children? I never had children. I was never married. Before I was a patient at Ashcliff, I worked here. You, you were a nurse? I was a doctor, Marshall. You think I'm crazy? No. No, no, I know. If I say I'm not crazy. Well, that hardly helps, does it? The Sakakis genius of it. People tell the world you're crazy. And all your protests to the contrary just confirm what they're saying. I'm not following you, I'm sorry. Once you're declared insane, and anything you do is called part of that insanity. Reasonable protests or denial, valid fears, paranoia. Survival instincts are defense mechanisms. You're smarter than you look, Marshal. That's probably not a good thing. Tell me something. Yeah. Well, what happened to you? I started asking about these large shipments of sodium amytol and opium-based hallucinogens. Psychotropic drugs. I asked about the surgeries, too. Ever heard of a transorbital lobotomy? Is that the patient with electroshock? Then go through the eye with an ice pick. Pull out some nerve fibers. <laughs> Makes the patients much more obedient. Tractable. It's barbaric. Do you know how pain enters the body, Marshal? Do you? Depends on where you're hurt. No. It has nothing to do with the flesh. The brain controls pain. The brain controls fear, empathy, sleep, hunger, anger, everything. What if you could control it? The brain? Recreate a man so he doesn't feel pain. Or love or, or sympathy. A man who can't be interrogated because he has no memories to confess. You, you never take away all man's memories. Never. Marshal, the North Koreans used American POWs during their brainwashing experiments. They turned soldiers into traitors. That's what they're doing here. They're creating ghosts to go out in the world and do things sane men, sane men never would. Dad, that kind of ability, that kind of knowledge, that would, that would take years. years. Years of research, hundreds of patients to experiment on. 50 years from now, people will look back and say, here, this place is where it all began. The Nazis used the Jews, Soviets used prisoners in their own gulags, and we, we tested patients on Shutter Island. No, they won't. No. You do understand that they can't let you leave. I am a federal marshal. 
They can't stop me. I was an esteemed psychiatrist from a respected family. Didn't matter. Let me ask you, any past traumas in your life? Yes. Why, why, why would that matter? Because they're gonna point to some event in your past and say it's the reason you lost your sanity. So that when they commit you here, your friends and colleagues will say, of course he cracked. Who wouldn't after what he'd been through? They can say that about anyone, anyone at the all. The point is they're gonna say it about you. How's your head? My head? Any funny dreams lately? Trouble sleeping? Headaches? I am prone to migraines, yes. Jesus. You haven't taken any pills, have you? I mean, even aspirin. Yeah, the aspirin. Jesus. And you, you ate the food in the cafeteria and drank the coffee they gave you. You tell me at least that you've been smoking your own cigarettes. It's 36 to 48 hours for neuroleptic narcotics to reach workable levels in the bloodstream. Palsy comes first. First the fingertips and eventually the whole hand. Seen any walking nightmares lately, Marshall? Huh? Tell me what goes on in that lighthouse. Tell me. Brain surgery. Now let's open the skull and see what happens if we pull on this kind. They learned it from the Nazis kind. It's where they create the ghost. Who knows about this? On the island, I mean, who? Everyone. Oh, come on, the, the nurses, the, 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 the orderlies? They, they couldn't possibly know about Everyone. Stay here. They think I'm dead, that I drown. I'm afraid if they come looking for you, they might find me. I'm sorry, but you have to go. I'm gonna come back for you. I won't be here. I move during the day, new places every night. But I could come get you, get, get you off this island. Haven't you heard a word I've said? The only way off the island is a ferry, and they control it. You'll never leave here. I had a friend. I was with him yesterday, but we got separated. Have you seen him? Marshall, you have no friends. But um, that's, that's Shutter Island, and that's Scorsese Month. Uh, I've been a blast to revisit these uh, four films uh, for 2010's Marty. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, 
please tell everybody about um, the channel where people can find you online, all that stuff. Yeah, um, I'm at I'm at YouTube. Uh, my channel name is just my name, Taylor J. Williams. Um, if I'm if I'm gonna plug any one thing, um, I would say check out my narrative work, which uh, you know my my short films. Uh, part of the reason I like built the channel is sort of to to get more eyes on on stuff like that. So um, the the two I have in mind, my most recent film, Scratch Off. Um, one of my more recent videos and then i put I, I uploaded another short film called fiber optics about a year ago that um you know i would love to get more eyes on um those those are my two plugs awesome jack where can everyone find you yeah fabulous uh you can find me on twitter at ah i see on instagram no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah there you go uh i'm on twitter at jackie draper Writing on a film, writing on film at the Boston Hassle. Oh wait, um, wait. This movie is available. Wait, on- we haven't even mentioned anything. We or we haven't. Sorry, we I mean, we have mentioned lots of things, but we forgot to mention that former guest of the podcast, Oscar Goff, oh. is in this movie, butt ass naked. Um, but I couldn't find him. I tried, but he is one of the naked extras in the Ward C scene. A former podcast editor of the Boston Hassle is butt ass naked in this movie. I couldn't find him because I think it's he's in the wow. I think he's in the first cell with all those dudes because I think some of them were facing like in the corner or something. So I couldn't spot him. Maybe he was in a scene that wasn't used, but all I know is Martin Scorsese has seen the dick of one of our former guests and that's what matters the most. I can message Oscar and ask. I feel like he would have mentioned it, though, when he talked to us about it. I feel like that's something... I, if I was naked and you could see me in Shutter Island, I'm telling you that. That's one of the first things I tell you when I meet you. Hey, my name is Clay. I was yeah. naked in Shutter Island. Yeah. Here's the scene where you can see it. I agree. I agree. Yeah, but I'm, I'm so sorry that we did not mention it sooner. Can, I should have been like the so... thing I led with in the beginning of the podcast <laughs> is that one of our good friends, yeah. Oscar Goff... I should have opened with that. Yes. Flipping naked in this thing. He is just oof, balls out. Mm-hmm. Just on film. Yep. Um, obviously Marty gave him. And the Marty okay. saw his okay. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was that was sweaty. Um, but hey man, I just I think that's a fun thing. Um, and it, it makes me laugh every time. But also it shows I don't know, Oscar he he pushes he pushes the art of cinema. He pushes the boundaries of what is acceptable mm-hmm. on film. So I think that's I think that's important. Mm-hmm. It it would have been even better if like Oscar was an extra in each of the 2010 Smarties uh, films, and uh, it would just and like try to convince us that he's somewhere in the background. But for now, we go back to guest choice, uh, where next episode we have a long and impassioned plea for more appreciation of Triple Frontier with Jillian Oakley joining us. A lot of daddies in that in that movie. Um, zaddies, as the kids call them. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm in the bag for a lot of those actors. I don't know if I'm in the bag in that bag for that movie though. Well, we'll see. Um, everyone follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterbox. Follow me on Birds of Clay ninety nine on Instagram. If you follow the podcast Twitter account ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exiting the two thousand tens at gmail Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on any podcast platform you listen to us on. To we greatly appreciate it. Uh, share us with a friend, retweet, run up to someone in the middle of the street, 
tell them that they're living in their own distorted view of reality and say, actually, just kidding, go listen to Exiting the 2010s and then run away. Um, be good to yourselves, keep being vigilant, support um, the humanitarian um, push in Gaza right now, call for a ceasefire, do what you got to do. Um, and as always, we will catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s. Thank you.